Uh, it's so good to be together again this evening. Thank you, Stu and the team. It's good to be able to start off by worshiping Jesus. Um, we've come to the end of a very long-ish series in Romans. Uh, if you're with us for the first time, you're catching the last uh, message in what's been a 17-week-long journey through Romans. It's been fantastic. We haven't gone as long as some. Like we said right in the beginning, I think it was uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones who uh, preached, I think it was 39 messages in chapter 1 alone. It took him 12 years to get to chapter 10 of Romans. So uh, we haven't been that long, but, but, it's, but it's been good. Um, this week we are actually preaching a message that we weren't going to be preaching in Romans uh, because we sort of like... I sort of inserted a message that uh, wasn't planned last week, and so I was supposed to be preaching something different this week, and Joe was supposed to be preaching something different last week, but I think we've, we've sort of landed with the message that I feel is appropriate for us this evening as we end off Romans. It's in, it's in uh, chapter 15, so if you want to turn there, you can turn there so long. Um, but I'm really excited about this one because um, Paul's beginning to wrap up Romans, and although it's not really the end, in this section, in this passage we're going to read, he highlights what I think is the most under-resourced um, tool in the church, the most underused, uh, uh, sort of untapped potential in the church today. He highlights that. Um, and he also goes on and, and gives us a few principles uh, that we can apply to ministry. All right, so um, there's a few that we're going to unpack. Each one in and of themselves can be a whole message, but we're just going to get a broad overview of some of the principles Paul gives us for ministry as he starts to close off his letter to the Romans. So um, we're just going to read together. We're reading from verse 14 through to verse 21, and then we will, then we will pack, we'll unpack it together. This is what Paul says. Verse 14 says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another, or some uh, passages might, or some uh, translations might include um, admonish one another. Yet, he says, I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except that which Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and what I have done. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Alacrim, or however you want to pronounce that, I fully proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. It was always, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, there are those who were not told about him, and they will see, and there were those who have not heard, and they will understand. So that's what Paul uh, says to, to the Romans as he begins to close out his letter to them. Remember, Romans is all about the gospel. It's all about unpacking the gospel. Paul introduces the concept of the gospel to them. Then he unpacks it and develops its theology or the theology of the gospel, some of the key elements of the gospel. Then he begins to apply it to their lives and, and to a Christian's life. He begins to give us some practical outworkings of the gospel in a person's life. 
Some of this that he's writing to them includes some practical outworkings of the gospel, but it's also a real encouragement to them that if you've got the gospel, you do something with it and you get excited about it. Right? But I just want to begin with what I think Paul touches on as, um, and what I consider to be one of the most untapped resources within the church. And, and this is what I think one of the most untapped and underused resources in the kingdom of God is. I, I think it's you. I think it's the church. I think it's the people of the church. I think it's brothers and sisters in the Lord. I think you are the most untapped resource in the kingdom of God. Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness and knowledge, filled with knowledge. You're, you're competent to admonish or instruct one another. Paul was fully convinced that the people he was writing to were able to minister to themselves, that they had enough to be able to encourage each other in the Lord and build each other up in the Lord and do what God had called them to do. They were all equipped to build one another up. Every single one of them was able to admonish another person. They were able to admonish each other and instruct each other and to fulfill the ministry responsibilities they were given. And here's why I think it's really important that we understand this and we realize what Paul is saying here and we actually unpack this idea and think about it a little bit because we're in a place in a space nowadays where there's a problem that I think exists in the church. And here's the problem. The problem is that people think they're not in full-time ministry. That the idea of full-time ministry or that those in full-time ministry or formal ministry are the ones responsible for ministry. And so we've got people frustrated sitting with gifts that just want to explode, but they feel like they can't bring it because it's not their place. Or you get people who aren't even pursuing their gifts, don't even have an idea of what their gift is because they've never had to use it. And we get people lumping on specific people the task of ministry and fulfilling the mandate of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. We're giving it to a specific group of people because they're in full-time or formal ministry. Some of the people we, we think are in full-time ministry are pastors, elders, deacons, missionaries like Claire. We think those people are responsible for ministry. And, and somewhere along the line, we've, we've got a little bit like off track. And we've lost this idea and the truth that every single one of us is a full-time missionary. Every single one of us is a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus. Often we think that pastors, elders, deacons, missionaries, they are the ones responsible for taking the word of God and spreading it within the church and outside of the church. Right? Before I became a pastor, right, and, and I, I realize that there's a semantics issue here, like what do you call what I do? Like, like it is full-time missions and ministry, I suppose. I do it full-time. Right? but can also lead people astray into thinking that they don't do it full-time. So it's this weird thing we've got to work through. Maybe it's my calling and my vocation, whereas your calling is a full-time missionary, but your vocation is something else. Right? Maybe we work it out like that. But I used to think that my job was just to invite people to church right? or introduce them to my pastor, and then that's my job done. Right? That's my role. So, hey, why don't you come to church with me? If the person said yes, I was like, cracked it. I'm not saying that's bad. But then it was like I washed my hands of it and I was like, if you don't save this guy, then it's you and that's your fault, right? 
or introduce them. Like, I feel so much pressure. People, and I really appreciate being introduced to people. I love it. But people will bring someone to me and be like, um, hey, Rolls, this is so-and-so. Uh, this, this is our pastor. Um, cheers. Right? And like somehow I'm more gifted and equipped to minister to this person and now something magical must happen. And, and, and maybe there are times and, and maybe you do feel awkward, but I think we've got into this place in this space where we feel like the sole responsibility for ministry and reaching out to people belong to those in full-time missions or ministry. There's this divide that's happened where there's the clergy and the congregation. There's what I do or what we do, and then there's what you do. And it's... It's different in our heads. And I really feel that when we miss this, and if we miss this, if we continue to perpetuate this problem and this untruth, that you are not equipped and that you are not full-time ministers and missionaries for Jesus, we're only going to be firing on four cylinders when we've actually got like a V12, right? And the four cylinders are going to be firing, and we're going to be moving, but it's not going to be very well until we kick the other ones in and actually get it sorted out and function to the best of our ability. If you've ever thought, I'm not in full-time ministry, it's probably because uh, we've used semantics that aren't helpful. We've used words that aren't helpful to describe what myself, Brad, Howard, and, and people who do this as a job, and we spend our day in the temple or in God's building. We've used words that aren't helpful to describe what we do. Or because we've developed this ability to just lump it on some people and we just go about our day without really thinking about the fact that we're called to be ministers, right? There are not meant to be any useless or inactive parts in the body of Christ. God has equipped every single one of us with different gifts. Paul spoke about this a little bit earlier on in Romans in chapter 12. He says, every single one of you must be using your gift. And I think we've got so much untapped potential within the body of Christ. But if a church is not healthy, it's not just because the pastorate isn't healthy. It's probably because people are not healthy in their understanding of the ministry responsibilities they have. That's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You're not just speaking to me. It's not just speaking to Howard or Brad or John or Shelley or Joe. And God says every single one of you are a royal priesthood. You're part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Church is not one man. Church is not one woman. In fact, it's not a select group of people. Church is every single one of us. Church is our responsibility. Ministry is our responsibility. Maybe ministry is like an old school word, but that's really what it is. We are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Carriers, proclaimers, giver-outers of the gospel of Jesus. The only way you can really say that you're not a minister of the gospel of Jesus is if you're not saved. The only people who can really say, listen, this does not apply to me, are people who don't know Jesus. Right? When we read that, that phrase, principles for ministry that I had up, in front, I think we need to avoid thinking that it doesn't apply to me because I'm not in ministry. Right? Paul then goes on and he, so he encourages them, but then he goes and he unpacks a little bit more and he speaks to them about his call and what he's passionate about. And from there, we can take away at least 10 principles 
And we're just going to get a broad overview. But he gives 10 principles, which I think are important for us uh, to grab a hold of. Because we're all called to minister, because this is about the gospel, as we're ministering, there's some principles we can apply to our daily lives that will help us become better ministers of the gospel. Right? And maybe we can start speaking about one another in a different way. Maybe we can start encouraging one another. You know, um, the guys who work every day, all day in the church are not the only pastors here. I mean, Uncle Shane over there, I think he's a man who's a pastor in our church. He's a disciple in our church. Pastor Shane. Prophet Amy or Prophetess Amy. I don't want to give labels to people because you can get all sorts weirded out and we can get a little bit, you know, big-headed about that. But, but, but the reality is we all have gifts. And we all minister to one another because of the gifts and through the gifts that God's given us by the power of the Spirit. But I just want to take a look at some of these principles. Now, the first one that Paul gives, as we understand our role to minister to one another, we have to understand um, that we shouldn't be afraid to minister. We shouldn't be afraid to bless one another and use our gifts. To use your gifting within the church, especially when it comes to admonishing one another. So use your gift, don't be afraid, but there's this thing that we are all, it's not even a gift, it's an ability and a call that we have, and that's to admonish. Now to admonish means to instruct or to warn or to teach, it can mean all of those things. And Paul uses this as a specific example within the church. He says this is at least one thing you can all do, is admonish one another. And I think in the church there's a lack of this sometimes, because when we see maybe somebody that needs to be encouraged or somebody that maybe is a little bit misguided and needs to be told that they're in error, or when you see somebody that has to be challenged to grow in a specific area, we tend to hold back because we're afraid of the awkwardness of that situation. Have you ever been there? Or have you ever thought that's not my responsibility so I've never been there? Right? I'll just call Roland or Brad. Right? We, we live in a culture where we are afraid to challenge people because we feel like we don't have a right to do that. If God's word says, do it, admonish one another. Right? God's word says, encourage one another by calling out the stuff that is a problem sometimes. What happens is we don't do that because we're afraid of the awkwardness. We think we're being judgmental. Of maybe you've, you've called something out in somebody and you've been rebuked for doing that or they've just exploded. And you're like, I'm not doing that again. Right? The explosion was probably evidence that they needed it. But maybe you're, like, you're a little bit hesitant because of experiences that you've had. And, and so what happens is we just don't do it. Or we wait until it builds up and builds up and builds up and builds up and then we just we explode out of irritation. And so the admonishing happens out of irritation and anger, or it doesn't happen at all. Paul says, hey, your, your job as ministers of the gospel and as brothers and sisters and, and, and sons and daughters and, and moms and sons and daughters and moms and dads in the faith is to admonish one another. Hold each other accountable. But, but it has to come out of relationship. We, we don't believe in drive-by admonishments. You just like, and then off you go. I've been in a situation where an older person in the Lord came past, in our old church, not here, came past somebody and was like, take that hat off. That's not the way that we dress here. They're so disrespectful. Right? I was like, oof. And the person was really, really crushed. And what had happened is they had come to a seniors event to come and help out. And they were wearing a cap inside and shorts and slops like I often 
dressed. Um, please forgive me. Right? But he just was like, oh, that's not how we do it. Right? We don't wear that. Take the cap off. And the guy really was like, oh, geez, this is a bit hectic. Now, instead of coming to him and maybe going, hey, brother, I just, just want to let you know that wearing the cap is maybe not a problem, uh, but there are some people here who are going to be a little bit offended by that. And so if you don't mind, won't you just take that cap off? We don't want to be legalistic, but we want to just help people who have an issue with this. Right? It's just a better way of saying the same thing. I don't think we need to be doing that with each other. That's just a silly example, but there are times where we need to be encouraging one another. Colossians 1, chapter 28, verse 28 says this, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Paul's saying to the Romans, you need to admonish one another because you're able to admonish one another, and as you do this, you sharpen one another. You keep each other from going off the rails. You set up guardrails and boundaries for one another. You keep each other holy. You hold each other uh, to God's word and to a higher standard. You don't just let it slip. I've been in high school where people were so proud of their uniform, right? And jeepers, the Lord help you if your tie is not done properly, or your shirt is untucked, or you don't wear a blazer when you're out in public, no matter how hot it is, right? Your pants are ironed. You wear the same color socks, right? You put a belt on. Don't wear baggy pants. And the reason why we do that and we held each other accountable there was because you, you're carrying a name and you're protecting the image of your school. We're called to admonish one another because we're ministers of the gospel, we're representing Jesus, and there's certain things we shouldn't be going into and certain things you should be avoiding. God says, hey, admonish one another. Keep each other tight. Hold each other accountable. And we can't be afraid to do that. That's part of our ministry. Right? The second principle Paul says we need to apply to our lives if we're going to minister well is to um, know personally and apply the truths of God's word. The reason Paul uh, believed that the Romans could admonish one another was because he was convinced that they were full of goodness and knowledge. He was convinced of that. It's not flattery, nor does he mean that he thinks that they were sinless and that they had perfect knowledge and that they were all seminary lecturer you know, level uh, in terms of their knowledge of Scripture. Instead, what Paul is doing here when he says this right, is, he, is he's referencing the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. He's saying, look, I know that you have knowledge and you have goodness because that's what happens when the Holy Spirit enters you. That's what happens. And so I can say that. He's declaring what he knows to be generally true about a group of believers when they get together because the Holy Spirit is in them. He says, you're able to do this not because you're anything great, but because if you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit is there. And if the Holy Spirit is here amongst us, there's freedom and there's the right for each and every single one of us to minister to one another. You have knowledge, you have goodness. Goodness is the fruit of the Spirit. Right? If you have the Spirit, you have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, and faithfulness, and self-control. How good was that? Right? Galatians 5 teaches us that goodness is the fruit of the Spirit. 1 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. In other words, it should be assumed of all believers everywhere that they hold to a higher moral virtue, not because we are self-righteous, but because God is at work within us and that we have at least the basic biblical knowledge necessary to lead someone to Jesus and admonish one another in the Lord. Right? 
You don't have to have arrived at some spiritual level of perfection. And you don't have to be a seminary graduate or a professor or a doctor in theology to be able to teach one another and admonish one another. Right? We have to have the knowledge of God's Word and goodness in our lives if we're going to minister effectively. Some people have got so much goodness and desire to, to, to love the Lord, but they don't read God's Word. They don't admonish other people. They just sit back and leave it to somebody else to do. Other people have got so much knowledge of God's Word, but they're self-righteous. They don't ever apply it to their lives. They're hypocritical, judgmental. Doesn't really help coming from those people because you can see straight through that and what they say doesn't matter even if it's true because they're not living it. You have to have both those qualities come together. So that's one of the principles Paul says that needs to exist in our lives if we're going to be effective ministers of the gospel for Jesus. The third one is this. Look for God working through other believers and affirm their ministry. It doesn't have to be a formal ministry. It can just be them using their gift. It's a ministry. Outside the church or in the church. Paul was, apostle with, he was an apostle with huge gifting. Really, really mature in the Lord, we can imagine. Right? He, he had so much ministry experience, yet he didn't consider himself the one that gives only. Paul positioned himself to receive from others as well. He often said, I'm looking forward to receiving from you. I'm looking forward to bringing to give, and I'm looking forward to what I can get from you. There's this idea that it doesn't matter who you are or where you are in the Lord, others can minister into your life as well because we're all the body of Christ, made up of different parts with different functions speaking into each other's lives. I've heard about pastors and church leaders who've been so jealous that their flock have been taught by other pastors and other people. Right? They've almost rebuked them for, for listening to other messages and, look and you know, accessing other resources. I, I think there's a place to protect people, and if someone's saying, hey, that's really dangerous material, stay away from that, that's different to you only listen to what I have to say. Because right? this is my responsibility, and it's from the Lord through me to you. Just You don't need anybody else. People do that because I don't think we realize that other people carry an ability to minister to other people just as well as we can or someone who's up in the pulpit can. I've seen Christian parents jealously guard their children against receiving any biblical knowledge from anybody else. And I think, again, there's a place as a parent to protect. There's also a place where that becomes incredibly controlling and damaging to your child because you won't let anybody speak into their lives. Test it. See whether it's biblical. Is it biblical? That's, that's fantastic. Hallelujah if someone else teaches my child. Like I praise God for Joe and Linda. I'm not there teaching my children at Sunday school. They are. And I'm like, great. Some of you guys are serving in the Sunday school. And I'm like, praise God for that. I'm not the only one. Mandy and I are not the only ones responsible for teaching our kids. You are. So I hope that you are filled with the knowledge of God and a desire to minister out of having applied this to your life because you're impacting the next generation, not just my responsibility, but yours. But praise the Lord when that happens. If, if any of you learn God's truth from somebody else, as long as it's God's truth and it is building you up and it is scriptural, awesome. If you're encouraging one another, that's great. If you're just waiting for Sunday to receive your steak or whatever it is that you refer to God's word as when you receive it, egg and bacon, Steak, egg, and chips, I don't know, right? If you're just waiting for Sunday, 
oh, man, you're missing a whole heap. If you can minister without myself or Brad or John or those guys who spend all our day here during the week, wonderful. Again, so there, there are, there's a group of our young people who go out to Musenberg and, and di- different places. I'm part of the WhatsApp group. I'm, in, I'm inactive on the group. I just get to read the messages, right? But they, they go everywhere, and I've never once been with them. Great. Awesome. They don't need me. Fantastic, right? We're going away on the Fred and I mission trip. I, I don't even know what's planned for Holiday Club. I just know we're going to have one, Right? Great. They're ministering without me. Shane's been involved, but he also just ability to hand over the reins. Wonderful. I think we need to reach that place and understand. We need to encourage one another in our gifts and in our abilities. And here's what happens when you do that. Humility is generated. Because when I sit in a chair and, and, and someone's teaching, and I realize that the person up front is carrying something that I need to get, and the person next to me is carrying something that I might need to learn, it sort of it, it humbles you. When the person next to me can pray for me and, and God can use them to heal me, when the person next to me has a word of encouragement, or maybe even a rebuke and sort of some discipline, and I can grow and I can learn from that, that humbles me because then I, I know I need you. Right? And so we, we humbled, and, and then when you humble, you can receive from somebody. When you're proud, you can't. So as soon as you humble, it opens your heart to receive. And as soon as you're able to receive some, something from somebody, you're able to catch what they're carrying. And we speak about this often. We use that language. You're able to catch what they're carrying in the Lord. You're able to deeply appreciate that. And some of what they're carrying can rub off on you and you become a blessing to somebody else. And then what happens is we grow. We grow in the Lord. Right? The fourth principle, Paul says, like, be bold in challenging one another and reminding each other about what we already know. You have no idea how many times I've been in situations where people go, oh, not John 3.16 again. Seriously. How much more do we have to unpack John 3.16? I've sucked all the marrow out of that. In fact, I've ground up the bones and I've made bone meal out of it, right? There's, there's, no much, there's not much more I can get from John 3.16. And I think that sort of uh, attitude breeds contempt for God's Word and, gener- and induces un- unhealthy pride for us to get to a place where we think we know it all and we need something fresh. Then we start going into weird stuff like Christian mysticism and all sorts of things, right? And Gnosticism where it's just like made up. There's no real biblical backing for it. We need to remind each other all the time of what we know, even if we've reminded each other over and over and over again. Why? Because it helps us to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's what Paul said we must do. Remember uh, when I preached two weeks ago, it's like, hey, forget about your silly disputes. Let that person's conscience be their conscience. Let that person's conscience be their conscience as long as it's not directly violating God's word. Right? And just focus on the main thing, which is the kingdom. We need to be reminding each other all over the, t- all over the place and, and all the time of what we already know. Paul says, I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them. Right? The things that you already know. Principle number five. Remember to give God glory in your ministry because all kingdom success is from him and for him. So Paul says, he gave me the priestly duty of he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel so that the gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God sanctified by the holy spirit therefore i glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God i will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the gentiles to obey God right 
It's always wrong to boast in ourselves. And we can get to a place, if we're not careful, where we become proud, and all of a sudden, what we're able to do for the Lord and what God is doing through us becomes something our own, as in like, wow, this is me. You, you, you need some wisdom? Hold on, I'm coming. Right? Oh, oh someone needs to be healed? I'm the healer. Right? Or oh, oh, we need some prophetic words? Someone needs, okay, I'm the prophet. Step aside. Right? And we can tend to forget that actually, hang on, this is for God's glory. It's the Spirit of God at work within you. This is for Jesus. And if you don't bring Him glory, God can just as easily take away from you what He gave you. Just put a pause in it so that you come back to Him and are reminded again that this is about Him and His fame. Paul's boast, he says, I boast in Jesus in the things pertaining to God. And if we miss it, he says, for I will not presume to speak of anything else except that which Christ has done in me. Paul's boast was a mature boast. When, when I was younger, right, there was this like, I would boast that I made like first team water polo. It was like my boast. Yeah. And before that, it was like, you know, PlayStation 1, I've got one, and I can beat my friends at racing. Right? Imagine if I stood up here and I was like, guys, I'm just really proud, I want to tell you. Back in high school, I played first team Wallapola. polo. That's my boast. You're like, okay, surely you've moved on from there, right? Some guys so hold on to their past and the things that they've achieved in the physical, it becomes a little bit embarrassing and betrays their maturity. As mature believers, we move on to greater and greater things. And Paul goes, hey, I've reached the pinnacle of the things that I can boast in. You know what? I boast in Christ. That's what I boast in. My gifts, my talents, my everything, they're for him, they're for his glory. They're given to me, they're for his glory. Let me boast in Jesus. It's a principle we need to apply to our ministry. Right? Sixth one. The goal of your ministry should be to proclaim the gospel in order to produce genuinely saved and obedient disciples. This is the goal of what God has given you to do. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except that which Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. What I have said and done. By what I've said and done. The gospel, when it's received, genuinely saves people and produces in them a desire to be obedient to Jesus. And we need to be discipling people in being obedient to Jesus. That's what Jesus said we're meant to be doing. Regardless of what your ministry is, that's the outcome. See, for some people, the, the main goal of their ministry is the ministry itself. For some people, it might even just be money. It might be fame, popularity. It might just be a, like, it's a means to an end. It's, it's a place where I can just express my gift. I don't think earning money is wrong. I don't think expressing your gift is wrong. But if the, if the end goal of that is not the glory of Jesus and the gospel being preached and people being saved and being made obedient disciples of Jesus, we've missed the point. Right? Whether it's in the marketplace you're an accountant, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a plumber, whether you're someone who does, you know, groundkeeping, it doesn't matter where it is. If you're outside and you're ministering and you're building a relationship with somebody and using your gift in the church and outside of the church, the goal should be always the glory of God and obedience to Him and His praise. Right. The seventh point is this. Another one's going to go very quickly, trust me. Seventh one is this. Don't neglect the Holy Spirit. Don't neglect the Holy Spirit. Anything you're able to accomplish for the kingdom is as a result of the Holy Spirit in your life. Right? 
Paul says, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, he's able to do the things that he's able to do. The Holy Spirit has so many different roles within the believer's life, and one of them is to empower them for ministry. And I think a lot of us are sitting with the person of the Holy Spirit in us. Right? And what he does is he, is, is he comes and he gives us compassion and love for people. And there's this drive and this desire to, to, to do what God has called us to do. And we have this desire to put on a Christ-like attitude, but very seldom do we get out there and do what we're called to do. And it's often because we're not tapping into the potential power that exists within us because of the Holy Spirit. Right? For many Christians, we, we just... We're just coasting, and very few have actually experienced an outworking of the power of God in their lives, a baptism in the Holy Spirit's power, where you just know, wow, this is not me. This is God at work. We need that for ministry. It should be a daily thing for us. It was for Jesus. Listen to what it says in Luke quickly. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, just after he's got baptized, was, he left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Right? There the devil tempted him until he was finished his tempting, and then he left him for more opportune time. And listen to what it says here. It says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. There's a place where Jesus was inhabited by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and then he leaves in the power of the Spirit. There's a difference. There's Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit person and Holy Spirit power. It was only after that that he began his earthly ministry. Right? Luke 8, Jesus was on his way, um, and the crowds were almost crushing him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. No one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around you and pressing against you. In other words, don't be ridiculous. Everybody's touching you. Jesus says, no, I know someone touched me because power has gone out from me. How did Jesus know that? That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit left him. He was aware of a power that existed and that was in him because of the Spirit. And when that left him, he felt it. And I think we live in this, in this, in this cycle where the Holy Spirit never leaves us, but we're constantly empowered. We use that power for ministry. We go back to the feet of Jesus for more. Power leaves us. We go back to Jesus for more. And Jesus did it that way so that we keep coming back to him. God did it the way, so we keep coming back to him. We keep relying on him. But so many of us are just content to have the Holy Spirit person in us as a mark and a seal for salvation. And some changes happened in our lives, but very seldom we're putting ourselves in a place where we actually are asking God every day, God, may I operate in the power of the Spirit today. May what I do today be supernatural. God, may what I do today in conversation, in serving people, in going about my work, may it be supernatural. May it be an outworking of the power of the Spirit of God for your glory. We need to be doing that. That's how you fast and you pray without making God sound like a vending machine. You fast and you pray. You ask God for the Spirit. It says you don't have because you don't ask. How much more will God, who's good, Right? Give you the Holy Spirit. Your fathers, who are earthly fathers, love you. When you ask them, they'll give you bread instead of a stone. How much more will, God in, how much more will your God in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? Right? If you ask Him. We need to ask God for the power of the Spirit. We need to be fasting and praying. We need to position ourselves and, 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 and come to God with understanding that we can't achieve for His kingdom what He wants us to apart from the power of the Spirit. Right? Eighth one. Understand how your specific God-given gifts and ministry fit into the bigger picture. 
Paul knew he was called to the Gentiles. He knew he was called to go to where uh, the, the gospel had not been preached before. Not all of us are going to pioneer ministries. Not all of us are gifted teachers. Not all of us are going to connect with people as well as other people and have capacity to disciple as many people as, say, someone like, again, I'm picking on you, Uncle Shane, yeah, but Shane, right? Not everybody's going to be able to teach God's word like how we can teach God's word. Not everybody's going to be able to bring a prophetic word like Shayla and Edwina can bring a prophetic word. We all need to understand where we fit into God's bigger picture for us by understanding our gifts. But that doesn't mean we're not all responsible for discipling people, for taking Jesus' mandate to go into all the nations seriously, and for making sure that we continue the work of Jesus. It, understanding where you fit into the bigger picture just helps you understand where you focus and where you are super effective. Right? Ask me to pioneer a ministry, and I am going to be dead. Ask me to do admin, right? Ask shells to do admin. No, seriously, she's really good at that, right? It's just this ministry and this ability, but that doesn't mean that Shelly doesn't disciple people and minister to people and teach the word. It just means we're, she's gifted there. We need to understand where we're gifted. The ninth one, right? Until the gospel has gone out to all people, we should all be praying, supporting, and working towards fulfilling the Great Commission. Every single one of us. John Piper was the one who wrote, he said, missions, and I inserted, and disciple-making, right? Because I think, never mind, but anyway. Missions, and Roland's insert, and disciple-making is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is, Right? Missions and disciple-making exist because worship doesn't. So the reason why we do what we do is to fulfill the Great Commission, and that's to help people know Jesus so that Jesus can be glorified and disciples can be made. And the truth is this. You're either doing what God has called you to do or, or you're being disobedient. You're either fulfilling God's command to you to go and to make disciples or you're being disobedient. The 10th one, the last one, this is a bit of an abstract one, but I'll explain it to you. We must always base our philosophy of ministry on Scripture and not on modern popular business or marketing techniques. So Paul cites or quotes Isaiah 52, 15, when he gives his reason for going to the Gentiles who hadn't heard. And what he was saying there was, and, and, and that passage in Isaiah is about, it's, it's the fourth, I think, passage of um, Isaiah, where he's speaking about um, servants. It's, uh, it's a fourth servant passage, right? And he's, he, he's speaking about Jesus being the suffering servant and how he's laid the foundation and how because of what he's done, now the message of him is going to go out to those who haven't heard, to the Gentiles. And so Paul cites Isaiah 52, 15, and what he's saying is the reason why I do what I do and how I do what I do is because I'm fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. And, and, and I'm doing what I know God has called me to do in light of what Jesus has already done. And so when we plan our ministries and, and, and when you look at what God has called you to do, always make sure that your philosophy of ministry and your ethos of ministry is based on God's word. We can apply principles from the marketplace and all that sort of stuff in business to help us to do certain things. But if church and if ministry becomes a business, 
and it stops being a family. And if church becomes just like a place where people are entertained and, 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 and we gun for numbers instead of it being the body of Christ where the spirit of the living God is and where God is worshipped, we've missed the plot. And people can get so sidetracked in strategy, you know, aesthetics, programming, and get sidetracked. In, and I, some of that stuff's really good. But if that becomes our focus, and if we're constantly looking to the world for strategies to implement so that our church becomes better, and we miss the Holy Spirit and we miss the main objective, we've lost it. Paul's saying, I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm fulfilling what God said we would do because of what Jesus has done, and we need to do the same in our lives. If you know Jesus, you're a full-time minister of the gospel. If you know Jesus, you're a full-time missionary, whether it's in Judea, Samaria, or to the ends of the earth. You're a full-time um, missionary. If you know Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. There's potential for power to be unleashed in you, and you have a responsibility to honor God. And you need to be convinced of this, that you're going to stand before Jesus one day, and he's going to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear Jesus say anything other than that to me. And, and because of that, I do what I do with excellence for the Lord in his power. And I remain as humble as possible. And every single one of us, every single one of you need to do the same thing. Wake up every morning, Jesus, this is for your glory. Fill me with the power of the Spirit. What is my mandate today? I know what the big picture is, but what do you want me to do today? Help me to be aware of your leading. God, let today be for your glory. Right? Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your word tonight. God, I just want to bless you that it is truth and that it is life. just wanted to read something that um, was sent on a group that, that I'm part of. It's called Be Prepared. And it's a bunch of people who want to be prepared for meeting here on a Sunday. And we challenge each other with what's going to be taught and, and what we're feeling God is saying. And, and just as we come to an end tonight, I... I really feel like this is something that is from the Lord and there needs to be people who respond to this tonight and people who minister to people who respond to this tonight. But I'm going to leave that in your hands. But um, this is what it says. The person writes and says, praying for this Sunday, they just got a sense that a number of people in our community are feeling spiritually attacked more than usual. That there's a heaviness and there's quite a bit of anxiety being stirred up but that those who are feeling spiritually strong need to contend for those who aren't. Praying specifically that people will find rest in God's sanctuary, that we are protected, fulfilled, and activated to stand firm and minister to each other over this period. Just thought to share in case others had any pictures, confirmations of this. Much love. I really felt like that is a word from the Lord, and I'm just feeling like in closing tonight in what God has done, maybe there are people who are feeling that way. Because there are definitely people who are filled with the joy of the Lord. And you've faced challenges and have come out on the other side and you're carrying things and you can encourage people who are facing tough times. And so tonight, as we end, I'm not going to ask you to stay or do anything weird, but just if you're in a place where you want prayer for something, we want to be able to minister to one another. So whether you stay behind until everyone's gone, you come to the front for prayer, we'd love you to be able to do that. Love to minister. And if, and if you're feeling it's a stirring in your heart to stay and pray for people who may be in that season, stay. And if you know you're staying for that reason, go to somebody who's still sitting down and be like, do you need prayer? Let me minister to you, my brother. Let me minister to you, my sister. Let me bring what God has given me to bring tonight because I feel like this is what God wants to do. Right? So Father, bless you. I pray that as we go this week, 
Lord, we'd be carriers of the gospel, we'd be filled with the Spirit, and that we'd have these principles in mind, Lord, as we go about our day. God, we glorify you as King. We love you, Jesus, and we bless your name. Amen.